This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Well, welcome to the One Verse Podcast. I'm your teacher for this podcast, Jeremy Myers. It's almost Eastern, so I've decided to do a a few podcast episodes based on the death of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. We'll be looking at a passage today based on the blood of Jesus. Lots of people believe that the blood of Jesus was shed to purchase forgiveness of sins from God. In other words, God wanted to forgive us, but he just couldn't until Jesus died, until his blood was shed for us. And then once Jesus shed his blood for us, now God could forgive us. Is that is that what is going on when Jesus dies on the cross? You know, does God need a blood sacrifice in order to love and to forgive you? Some people say yes, and today we'll be looking at a passage that they use to defend that idea. But I will be providing an alternative explanation, a different explanation of that text. I want to say as well, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, I am starting to try to record these live on Facebook and also YouTube, by the way, and even Periscope if you are there. So I would appreciate it if you're interested in watching me record these live. You can do that. Just just like my Facebook page. Go to redeeminggod.com slash Facebook and uh, like my page there. Or uh, you can even join me on YouTube. Go to redeeminggod.com slash YouTube and subscribe to my channel there. And of course, even on Twitter, redeeminggod.com slash Twitter. And uh, you can join me in all of those areas. And that way, when I record these podcasts live in the future, uh, you can watch it and uh, watch along. (laughs) All right. And uh, get a little background detail on how this all works. Some of the preparation work that goes into it. And uh, who knows, maybe even some of the mess ups I have along the way. If I mess up live, it just stays live but you're never going to hear it here on the podcast. I will edit that out after the fact. So anyway, hope you enjoy this. If you're watching it live, thank you for joining me. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, thank you for joining me as well. I really, really appreciate it. With all that in mind, let's get into our study today as we look at what the blood of Jesus accomplished and what it did not accomplish on the cross. So, in Matthew 26, 28, Jesus is observing the Last Supper with his disciples in the upper room. And as part of that supper, he obviously breaks the bread, and then he has this these various cups of wine. And during one of these cups, he holds it up, or at least that's how we imagine it. He takes the, uh, the cup, and he says, here's what he says, Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Some Bible translations there say, for the forgiveness of sins. So here's the question. Does this mean, is Jesus saying that his blood had to be shed so that he could buy forgiveness of sins for us from God? (laughs) Let's see, what's the best way to answer that question? Let's try this. No! (laughs) No! No, 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 a thousand times no. Okay? 
uh, done. That's the end of the, that's the end of the study. No, I, I'm sure you want a little better explanation than that. Look, I know that there are several verses in the Bible uh, that many people use. In fact, I use them myself for many years. And uh, it's very common this time of year to hear them in Bible studies and from your pulpits. There's many verses in the Bible that some people use to argue that Jesus had to die on the cross. He had to shed his blood so that he could purchase forgiveness of sins from God. Uh, Right? Now, but I would argue that when these passages are carefully studied in their contexts— None of them, not a single one of them, are actually teaching that idea. Now, ideally, I would like to study through all of these texts with you, uh, but I think uh, we won't have time for that in this one podcast episode. I will look at another couple in the next uh, few podcast episodes, so make sure you join me for those. But today, we're just going to look at this one in Matthew 26, 28. And what I'm going to be arguing in all of these studies that we look at these passages about the blood of Jesus— is that the blood of Jesus was not required by God in order to forgive us. Instead, God has always forgiven all people of all their sins. Because that's simply who God is. All right, God did not need to be paid off before he could forgive us. In fact, think about that concept a little bit. If God gets paid off by the blood of Jesus, then God doesn't actually forgive us, does he? He gets paid off. I mean, you cannot be paid off and forgive at the same time. If someone owes you a debt of some sort, you can't force them or somebody else to pay you. And then once you get paid, you say, okay, now I forgive you. No, you got paid. You don't forgive. Okay, You can either forgive or you can get paid off, but you can't do both. All right. So that sort of concept is behind all of these passages about the blood of Jesus. What does the blood of Jesus do? Why is the blood of Jesus shed? All right. What is important? What is critical about it? And uh, Matthew 26, 28 is one of those passages that is sometimes quoted in defense of this idea that Jesus paid for our sins with his blood. And of course, it is during the Last Supper. This is the night before his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, and Jesus is sharing the Passover meal with his disciples. And as he is sharing this meal, he added several layers of new symbolism, meaning, and significance to this meal. Right? And so, obviously, he said the bread that he was broken, that this represented his body broken for them. And uh, he teaches that the wine represented his blood shed for them. And then he even spoke, at least here in Matthew 26, about this new covenant in his blood. And he says, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is for the forgiveness or for the remission of sins. All right, and some people say, see, Jesus says, my blood has to be shed so that God can forgive people, for, forgive them for their sins. But that is not what Jesus is saying. And there's two keys, two ways we know that that is not what Jesus is saying. Uh, The first key is to understand what Jesus means by the new covenant. And then the second key is to understand what Jesus is referring to here when he talks about forgiveness. All right, so let's look at both. First, this concept of the new covenant. All right, Jesus was not teaching that his blood was the purchase price for the forgiveness of sins. All right, Um, instead that his blood was the sign of this new covenant. So think about this new covenant concept. All right, the new covenant... um, Obviously, it replaces the old covenant. And so what Jesus is saying here is that he was dying uh, to enact or inaugurate, to put into effect, to enforce 
this new covenant. And I want you to think about this new covenant. I think there's a lot of confusion about this, and so it does confuse some of what Jesus is saying here. The new covenant, I don't want you to think about it as a new system of laws and regulations to keep. Instead, the terminology that Jesus uses here refers more to um, not so much a contract. Uh, Well, it is a bit of a contract, but it's more like a last will and testament. Okay, I don't know if you have a will, you know, uh, of who's going to get your house and who's going to get your dog and who's going to get your car uh, and so on uh, when you die. All right, but that's what Jesus is referring to here. It's a legal will that Jesus is enacting. This new covenant is a new will. He's setting aside the old covenant, the old will, the last will and testament, the old one, and enacting a new one. All right? And that is the uh, the term that Jesus uses here. Now, you think about a covenant, uh, especially as a will, a last will and testament. All right? Uh, how are those put into effect? Well, As the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 9, they're not in effect as long as the one who made it is still alive. In other words, someone, the maker of this last will and testament, has to die in order for the new covenant, the new last will and testament, to be put into effect. All right? You can make it, but as long as you're alive, you can change it anytime you want. You just go down to the lawyer and pay him a bunch of money, and then they change it. Okay? Uh, and so that's sort of what Jesus is doing here. They did make a first covenant, well, actually multiple covenants in the Old Testament, uh, Abraham and Mosaic and, and David and, and so on, Davidic covenant, Noahic covenant. Uh, okay, but this is the one that replaces, in a sense, does away with the Mosaic covenant. All right, and uh, we could go and spend a lot of time talking about the stipulations and requirements of the Mosaic Covenant and why were the why they were there and and why they were put into effect and so on. Uh, but we don't have time for that. Jesus is coming to replace it, and so he says, "I am making a new last will and testament." And guess what? For this to go into effect, someone, the maker of this last will and testament, has to die. Okay, now, this is God's will, God's will and covenant, last will and covenant, but obviously God cannot die, all right? And so, it was impossible for this last will and testament of God to go into, an, into effect unless God becomes human and dies as a human, which is exactly what he did in Jesus Christ, okay? So, when Jesus speaks of his blood representing the new covenant, all right, he's pointing out that the, the new covenant, and this has been promised, of, obviously, by all the Hebrew prophets, you know, the Jeremiah 31, for example, um, uh, he's saying this new covenant is now going to be put into effect because the one who made it is now here and he's going to die. And when, it, he, when he dies, this new covenant, this new last will and testament will be ratified, will be enforced. Uh, the terms and stipulations of it, the inheritance, all of that is going to come into play because Jesus is now dying. By the way, this is what the author of Hebrews spends a lot of time, three chapters talking about in Hebrews 9, 10, and 11. And so you can read a lot more uh, about about all of this there. Uh, what, What the author of Hebrews is teaching there in those three chapters, Hebrews 9, 10, and 11, Um, especially Hebrews 9 and 10, is uh, sort of a commentary on this idea of the last will and testament of God, 
that uh, the first one was ratified by Moses with the blood of sacrifices and so on, okay, but now uh, a better uh, covenant with Jesus and, and his shed blood, okay? So, so anyway, uh, that's, what we, that's what's going on here. Don't understand this new covenant as this legal contract where God says, you better do this or else. You better do this if you want to receive eternal life. No, eternal life is received by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, okay? The law was never given for that purpose, And neither was this new covenant that Jesus enacted. Instead, it's a last will and testament of God. And God is enacting it, ratifying it, inaugurating it through his own death in Jesus Christ. Okay? So that means that the blood of Jesus has nothing to do with buying forgiveness from God for us. Okay? It's about ratifying, enacting this new covenant. But I can hear what you're saying. Yeah, but Jeremy, right there at the end, Jesus says, for the forgiveness of sins, and depending on your Bible translation. All right, so let's talk about that. Jesus does mention this, at least in some Bible translation. My Bible translation, New King James Version, it says remission of sins, but lots of people understand that in the same way. Remission, forgiveness, whatever. Okay, well, let's talk about this. Uh, lots of people do not realize that there are two types of forgiveness in the Bible. All right, um, and it's critical to understand these two types, especially anytime you encounter a Bible passage that talks about forgiveness. Just think, okay, what type of forgiveness is in view here? And you can use a Greek tool or something to look it up. All right, let me let me summarize what these two types of forgiveness are. The first one is called charizomai forgiveness, and uh, it is based on the free grace of God. The Greek word for grace is charis. All right, and so you can hear that in there, charizomai. Charis. It's based on the grace of God. And this type of forgiveness is freely extended by God to all people throughout all time around the entire world, okay, for all of their sins, past, present, and future, right? There's no strings, no conditions attached whatsoever. It is purely 100% completely by God's grace. By the way, this does not make me a universalist, all right? Uh, that's a whole nother topic as well. God can freely forgive somebody for all their sins, past, present, future, out of all time, all people, okay? Uh, but that does not mean that all of them end up uh, spending eternity with him, all right? So, but that's a whole nother discussion. We'll have to save for some other time. Anyway, that's the first type of forgiveness, charizomai, based on the grace, the charis of God. The second type of forgiveness is aphasis forgiveness, all right. Now, this type of forgiveness does have conditions. For example, a lot of times if you're reading a passage and it talks about repentance or confession in order to receive forgiveness, well, then uh, you can guarantee, almost bet, that it is referring to aphasis forgiveness. And guess what? Aphasis forgiveness has nothing whatsoever to do with our standing before God, our relationship with God, nothing like that. Okay. A faces forgiveness is not about how God views us or whether or not he loves us or forgives us even because he has completely freely forgiven us 100% for all of our sins. A faces forgiveness is more about our relationship with sin. <laughs> okay? You know as I do that God can forgive us, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we gain victory or power over the sin in our lives. A lot of us have a lot of addictions and problems and patterns of sin in our lives, and we can know mentally, biblically, theologically even, that we've been forgiven by God for those sins, but we still struggle with them. This is where Ephesus comes in, okay? God says, look, I have forgiven you, charizomai, 
But you need to break free from the power of sin in your life. You need to break that addiction. So let me give you some steps, some suggestions, some ideas, some commands even for how to do that. Uh, and when you break free, you will gain a phasis forgiveness. And some of these steps, yes, are repentance and confession and, you know, all sorts of things related to that. Forgiving others even is a condition for receiving this type of a phasis. If we don't forgive others, then we won't be forgiven. That is, we won't, be, we won't gain this release of bitterness and hatred and enmity and all that that sometimes resides in our hearts, okay? So anyway, those are the two types of forgiveness. Charizomai forgiveness, which is, you know, God freely forgiving us, and a phasis forgiveness, which is where we take steps to gain the experience of forgiveness in our lives as we break free from the addiction and destructive power of sin in our lives. Now, as a result of these two types of forgiveness, often your English Bible translations, not always, but often, will translate this second type of forgiveness, a phasis forgiveness, as uh, release or remission. And again, that's what, that's what the New King James Version translators have done here. It says, uh, for the remission of sins. All right? So um, that, that is what Jesus is referring to here. He's not talking about him paying blood so that God could forgive us. No, God freely forgives us and God does not require payment of blood for that. Jesus is saying that he has come and he's shedding his blood, yes, to initiate, inaugurate that new covenant, but also so that we could be released from our sin, so that we could um, break free from the addicting and destructive devastating consequences of sin in our lives. Now, we could go into a long study here of, and talk about what type of sin Jesus is referring to. And I do this in my book, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. I have uh, two whole chapters on sin in there, and I show how it is connected and revealed through the blood of Jesus on the cross. And that's what Jesus is referring to here. But let me just give you the cliff notes. Jesus is pointing out uh, that the primary area of sin he wants us to break free from is the sin that we have struggled with since the foundation of the world, which is the founding sin, the founding murder, when Cain murdered his brother Abel, all right, after Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, all right? Uh, and that is where the blood of Abel cried out to God from the ground for vengeance. But we have, you know, a, a better word through Jesus, which, of course, is the word of forgiveness, as the author of Hebrews tells us. All right? So, uh, again, that is, it's, this is the, the, the sin, the foundational sin since the foundation of the world. It is what the, the world is founded upon. Civilization and culture uh, is all based upon this sin of violence and scapegoating and condemning others in God's name, killing other people in God's name, all right? And that is what we did to Jesus. And that is what Jesus came to expose and unveil and then call us to stop doing, to move away from. And that is why the blood of Jesus is so effective at releasing us from this sin. Because it reveals it to us and shows us a better way. A way that is not based on retaliation and revenge, but instead is based on forgiveness and love. Which, of course, is the way of God as well. Okay? So, with all of this in mind, how do we understand Matthew 26, 28? Look, Jesus' words at the Last Slupper uh, are, they, they closely mirror things we've seen 
uh, elsewhere in the Bible, in Genesis 4, in Hebrews 12, all right? The founding murder was when a brother murdered a brother. And what did we do to Jesus? Well, we, as his brother, murdered him. And that is why the blood of Jesus does such a good job revealing our sin to us and then calling us away from it so that we can live in a new way, a way of grace and mercy and forgiveness, just like God has always lived towards us. All right, so that is what Jesus is saying to his disciples at the Last Supper. He brings them to the table and he says, I'm going to inaugurate a new covenant, a new way of doing things, a new last will and testament, right? And it's going to be put into effect through my blood, through my death. And when you see what I reveal through my death, through my shed blood, which is violently shed on the cross, okay, then you will gain release, remission from the addictive and destructive power of sin that has enslaved humanity since the foundation of the world. All right? That is how to understand this text. There's no mention here of buying forgiveness from God. In fact, just quite the opposite. Jesus isn't saying, I'm going to die so God can forgive you. Jesus is instead saying, I'm going to die so that you can learn that God has always forgiven you. My death will show you how to live in a similar way towards others, the way God has always lived towards you. My death is going to show you how you can live with unconditional love and free forgiveness toward others, just as God has always extended this towards you. And when we begin to see this, it's then that we will break free from the sin of violent, bloody, sacrificial scapegoating that has plagued humanity since the very beginning. So this is what Matthew 26, 28 is talking about. The new covenant in Jesus, introduced to us and inaugurated for us through his violent death on the cross, shows that we are completely forgiven and always have been completely forgiven by God. And there is nothing for which God will not forgive us. All right, so therefore, we too can forgive. And when we forgive, we won't lash out in vengeance and violence and retaliation. That's what humans have always been doing. But the death of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, shows us a new way, a way that cries out from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. By seeing God's loving, forgiving, non-retaliatory character through the death of Jesus, we're shown a new way to live, a way that could transform the world. All right? And... I hope that as you observe the Lord's Supper, however it is you do it with your tradition, you keep all this in mind. It's not just getting a a sip of juice or wine and a little cracker, but it is a reminder of what Jesus revealed to us on the cross about how God loves us and forgives us unconditionally and freely, and he always has. But it's we humans who condemn and accuse and scapegoat and slander, tear other people down, and even kill people in God's name. It's we who do this, and God has nothing whatsoever to do with it. And through Jesus, we are called to live in a new way, a way that resembles him. This is how the death of Jesus reveals our sin to us, and this is how the blood of Jesus releases us from the bondage of sin 
in our lives. Look, Jesus did not buy forgiveness of sins for us from God. Instead, he revealed that God has always loved and always forgiven. And we can live this way as well. I sure hope you found that encouraging. I hope it's going to be insightful and helpful for you as well as you seek to celebrate this coming weekend and, in fact, the entire year. What Jesus has done for us through his life, death, burial, and, of course, his resurrection. This really is an all-year type of truth, not just an Easter weekend type of truth. Because we deal with this sin of scapegoating and blame and accusation all year long, don't we? With our marriages and our kids and our workplace and politics and every area of life. And Jesus shows us how to live a different way. Listen, uh, if you found this helpful, I would encourage you to get my book, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. Also, my book, The Atonement of God. I talk about both of those there. And of course, I have uh, several online courses related to these as well. You can learn more about those by joining my online discipleship group at redeeminggod.com join. And please, if you haven't already, joined me, uh, please join me on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube as well. Subscribe to my channel there and you can get these live videos. Uh, they'll stay up even after they're live, so you can watch them after the fact if, uh, if that's what you want. <laughs> Grab a bowl of popcorn and, and I'm sure it's really thrilling watching me sit here and uh, talking to a camera. But uh, you can join me on Facebook. Go to redeeminggod.com slash Facebook. Join me on YouTube. Go to redeeminggod.com slash YouTube. And join me on Twitter by going to redeeminggod.com slash Twitter. Thank you for joining me wherever it is you join me. And we'll see you next time as we look at another passage about the blood of Jesus. Jesus.